So then what I needed to understand, and I, as a former female athlete, and at that time, and still, like, I love to be fit. I wanted to be fit postpartum. They wanted to continue in their fitness. So it became my mission to try to understand how to maintain fitness because there's so much benefit. And I'm talking to the CrossFit community. You guys understand there's so much benefit to fitness for all levels and manner and types of health, emotional, mental, physical. Um, and so how can we keep people fit and help them with their pelvic health simultaneously. That became my mission, um, to try to blend those worlds. This is episode number 83 with Julie Weeb. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hey there, welcome back to Pursuing Health. In this episode, I am continuing the conversation on CrossFit and pregnancy. This started with my previous two episodes, 81 and 82, where I chatted with Lindsay Valenzuela about her experience with pregnancy and returning to a high level of competition, as well as Lisa Ryan, who continues to battle a severe case of diastasis recti. So in this episode, I sit down with physical therapist and pelvic floor health expert, Julie Weeb. A little bit of background about Julie. She has over 20 years of clinical experience in sports medicine and women's health. She's a published author and an international lecturer. She maintains a clinical practice in the Los Angeles area, and she also shares her approach to pelvic health recovery via online courses that are available through her website. She's developed a unique and integrative approach to promoting women's health. Her diaphragm and pelvic floor piston science concepts apply to a variety of populations, and they've been successfully employed to help athletes overcome diastasis recti and pelvic floor dysfunction. So in this episode, we talk about how Julie developed her interest in women's health and pelvic floor dysfunction. She also explains some of the common problems that women and even men can have with their pelvic floor and how to address them as well as how to take a healthy approach to training during pregnancy that can best set you up for success in your postpartum recovery. So before we get started, a few quick reminders. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. Finally, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and it does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started with episode number 83 of Pursuing Health featuring Julie Weeb. So welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm really excited to be here with Julie Weeb, physical therapist, and very excited to dive into some important topics, I think, for our community today and some topics that aren't often talked about. So thank you for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. Awesome. Well, I was hoping that maybe we could start off with just a little bit of your background, maybe any athletic background, and then what led you to become a physical therapist in the first place? 
Um, so I am a uh, female athlete, um, but just a little bit older <laughs> and an aging female athlete. But um, I grew up playing sports. I actually kind of think of myself as the original Title IX kid. Like I really was oh, part awesome. of that first generation of girls that got the opportunity to play sports, mm-hmm. um, including playing on my brother's soccer team until there really was actually girl teams that wow. I could play on. So, yeah. So played soccer actually all the way through college um, and then beyond. Um, and, uh, and appreciate have always had fitness and sports as a part of my life. So when I went into PT school, I actually wanted to become a physician. That was my original, um, pursuit. Uh, I just think I knew I wanted to do medicine Mm -hmm. and I'd known that from a very young age. And then I actually got an opportunity to rotate through a hospital and was excited to beyond my own experience of interactions with physicians for checkups, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I was excited to see them like interact with patients. And I was there for a half a day during high high school, never once saw a doctor interact with a patient, but just, I think I missed rounds. I honestly think I just missed rounds, but I didn't understand that as a high schooler. So, um, but when I went to the physical therapy department, I just, I still have the vision of this PT and the patient and they're working with them on their arm Mm -hmm. and they were face to face right in the trenches. And Mm -hmm. I realized that's how I wanted to do medicine was to actually journey with patients and be a part of that that process of healing. And so, uh, so that really changed my course into pursuing PT and sports medicine was actually a really good fit for me because I'd always been an athlete. So, um, so that's where I landed was in sports medicine, orthopedics. Wow. Well, what a good story. I think it's, it's so true. I think it can be frustrating at times now with technology and computers, how little time we do spend with patients. Um, so I can see that being attractive from a young age with your even, I'm not surprised that was one of your first experiences. Yeah. Um, so then what led you into focusing on women's health within physical therapy? Um, like most women that end up in women's health, it was my own pregnancies mm-hmm. and uh, deliveries. And um, and it, it really actually, my oldest is 14. And around 14 years ago is when the core hit the scene. And okay. so people don't understand that there used to not be a core. Like mm-hmm. we didn't actually have that when I was in PT school. Um, that's how old I am. <laughs> and uh, but we um, so 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 that transition was starting to understand um, that there was these deeper muscles that we had to be concerned about and, uh, and talk about and integrate into our treatments. And out of the gate, we understood that the pelvic floor was a part of that system. So I'm talking about what some people it gets called different things, the deep core, the local stabilizers, mm-hmm. it's diaphragm, TA, pelvic floor, multivitis, those four became stuff we started talking about more. And um, so out of the gate, I understood that the pelvic floor was a part of that system, but we didn't go there as a rehab community for a long time. We kept the pelvic floor kind of separate. It's kind of always been considered this thing that's outside of every other realm of fitness, rehab, like orthopedics is over here, Mm -hmm. pelvic health is over here. Hmm. Um, And so we all sort of ran down this track with trying to get the TA, the TVA, the transversus abdominis, navel to spine. That sort of was our path for like a decade. Um, but, uh, but understanding that the pelvic floor is a part of that system. I then also had my first child needed to recover from my own pregnancy. And though I didn't have any classic pelvic health symptoms, it made sense to me that I should start integrating the pelvic floor hmm. back into that system mm-hmm. postpartum. And then I started to recognize in my female athletes who were my patients, that's my patient load, 
um, they were demonstrating to me the same kinds of issues I was having as a brand new mommy mm -hmm. um, in terms of my ability to reconnect with that system. But they were now decades in some cases past their deliveries. And so uh, they so my understanding then sort of my extrapolation was, wow, these women have held on to this faulty inability to reconnect mm -hmm. their whole life and what started out as like, oh, my shoulder's kind of sore when I nursed the baby to mm -hmm. now that I was seeing them post-op rotator cuff repair. And wow. so, you know, thinking like, what if I could get them way back here and educate them and try to help them reconnect with that system so that they could support their shoulder, so they could support their baby when they're breastfeeding? Could I head that whole process off at the pass? Like, could I actually mm -hmm. get them much sooner in the process? So, and um, in starting to explore the pelvic health literature at the time and trying to understand that component, um, most of the the literature was like, if you're if you have any pelvic health consideration, you need to stop fitness. Mm. And so, if I found that out for my patient, I was like, well, you need to stop because that's what that's what was the that was understood. Right. And they all would literally like, and I tell this story all the time, but they would like nod their heads, <laughs> tie their legs, their runners up, and then like run from the clinic home. Right. And I was like, okay, so, so then what I needed to understand, and I, as a former female athlete and at that time, and still like, I love to sure. be fit. I wanted to be fit postpartum. They wanted to continue in their fitness. So it became my mission to try to understand how to maintain fitness because there's so much benefit. And I'm talking mm -hmm. to the CrossFit community, you guys understand there's so much benefit to fitness for all levels and manner and types of health, emotional, mental, physical. Um, and so how can we keep people fit and help them with their pelvic health simultaneously? That became my mission um, to try to blend those worlds. And it was a bumpy ride, still is, but <laughs> trying. Come a long way. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah, I didn't, come a long way. wow, I didn't realize that you know, how much the paradigms have changed just in sh such a short period of time. But that's, yeah, that's really, it doesn't feel like a short period. Yeah. Of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it feels like an uphill battle. Yeah. yeah, it has been to try to talk about those two things yeah. in the same sentences has been mm -hmm. has been tricky for people to kind of find their way to the middle, but we're getting there, like we're really getting there. So it's exciting to continue to be a part of that conversation. So wow, and amazing to yeah. hear what you're talking about is the consequences that can happen like in your shoulder when people wouldn't normally think of their pelvic floor or their core being something that was involved. So Yeah. And actually we have studies that have shown us that the pelvic floor turns on before you move your shoulder every time. Yeah. So, you know, and shoulders and shoulder injuries and weight training are like you know, unfortunately, peanut butter and jelly. Like they, they we see that a lot. Mm -hmm. And to understand that if your clients um, has a, you know, a pelvic floor dysfunction underneath their attempts under the bar, mm -hmm. it makes some sense that they can't support their center well so that they can set, help themselves under that bar. So it's, it's just looking instead of reef, we're just, I'm just trying to reframe it as a muscle that mm -hmm. can help you. Mm -hmm. Like, as opposed to it's something that helps us with pee, poo, and sex. Like, that's kind of all it's ever been talked about. Mm -hmm. But those then become our signals that the system isn't working well. The pelvic floor is part of a system. So if we can sort of reframe that for people, then it mm -hmm. becomes oogie. You know, it becomes less like something worthy of shame because it's not. It's a signal and mm -hmm. you need to get it taken care of. Like, and there are now strategies to do that. You don't have to stop. We can We can help you manage that. So and thrive like and continue so that's amazing that's yeah wow well could you just give us maybe a 
kind of general broad overview of how the anatomy of the pelvic floor works um, and then specifically maybe how it changes during pregnancy and recovery? Uh, that, let's see, to put a broad swath on that, um, mm -hmm. it's basically the musculature inside the pelvis. Um, it does have connections to some of the hip musculature, so some of the deep hip muscles. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really important. It actually has connections onto the sacrum and the coccyx, so that's the lower part of the spine. Mm -hmm. um, and it also um, has connections to the front of the pelvis at the pubic symphysis. So when we start talking about groin injury, when we start talking about um, people who have like SI injuries, which is sacroiliac, so sacrum's part of that. When we talk about hip stuff, mm -hmm. um, when you go through a delivery, we actually know that the pelvic floor goes through this enormous change during mm -hmm. deliveries. Obviously, it stretches um, quite a bit, but it remarkably goes back for most women um, to relatively awesome function. Like, mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty. It's incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really is, and we are designed to do that. Um, and and what I've often said is, we're designed to pull that off, and we're also designed to recover from it. Like, there's mm -hmm. there's stuff that we can do about that. Um, but but what ends up happening for some women is that there's injury, there's tearing, there's um, episiotomies come in and out of favor, um, and uh, there are there is damage. Sometimes the babies come out like with their elbows mm -hmm. up, and it just it actually. And this will scare people away from having children. And I don't want that to be what happens. Um, it's but, all worth it when the baby comes out. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. And that's, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a tough reality, but, um, mm -hmm. but so there can be actual injuries beyond, um, understanding that the pelvic floor has gone through this terrific change, especially mm -hmm. during delivery. But what we need to understand is that it has actually gone through change during the pregnancy. And, and the biggest change in my kind of uh, interpretation of things is more that it's it's interrelationship with the other muscles that help it to do, help it to do its job that gets out of balance during pregnancy. So even if you haven't had a major injury or big tears or anything like that after the during the delivery and let's hope that's not, you know, the majority mm -hmm. of women, mm -hmm. um, you know, you you there is value to trying to reconnect with the pelvic floor and reconnect it with its teammates. Like mm -hmm. that's really important is it to keep changing the conversation from the pelvic floor alone. But people just aren't familiar with it, so we do need to kind of highlight it. Right. But to understand that it's a part of a system, like we would never just train one element of the quad, like the quad is four, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like we would never just train one component. Well, we did right. try for a long time to do VMO <laughs> for a long time. That's a, that's a nerdy PT joke, <laughs> but, um, but we, we, we can't disconnect it. And, mm -hmm. and unfortunately that's kind of what we've done. So to understand that even if you're not demonstrating a typical pelvic health issue, like incontinence. Some women experience heaviness in their vagina after a lift. That's a signal. People call me. <laughs> you need to find you some help. Um, you know, that the pelvic floor is just sort of taking the hit. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The rest of the team needs to work well together in order to help that pelvic floor do its job at its optimum. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that that's sort of a broad swath of understanding what can go wrong, but mm -hmm. also to understand that it doesn't necessarily look like typical pelvic health stuff. If you have tight hips after you work out, 
I would be interested in seeing what's happening with your pelvic floor because it's connected with your hips. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of female athletes over recruit the pelvic floor. So it's not just about weakness or damage. It can be over recruited, which Mm -hmm. if you understand that it's connected to the hips can pull on the hips and then create that like post exercise tightness, um, that a lot of women experience. So, and men, men are over recruiting it too. They get Mm -hmm. into trouble too. So, um, very interesting. So I can keep going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, we will. We will. Um, no, that's very interesting. And also, I think in the context of just talking about how it's not just one muscle that you can isolate, like in the context of everything we're doing in CrossFit with functional movements, we're trying to use all these compound movements and how the body is made to move um, in nature. And so it makes sense that you want to be doing the same thing with your pelvic floor and with your core as well. Yeah. It's just, it's, and, and to understand that it's part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like when you do a squat, it's not like your pelvic floor is smoking. Not there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not having yeah. smoke break. It's like participating and it should be. Um, and so we need to kind of understand that and understand that when we add it back in, we're actually giving you an additional muscle to participate in your athletics with. Like mm-hmm. that's like we just boosted your capacity when we help you reconnect with that component of the system. And it is a part of every move that we make. Like in addition to the shoulder, we also know that it turns on when you move your hip. Like we, we understand that it's part of the system that helps us create an anchor at the center. So the rest of us can move around it in a really efficient way. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hopefully a new chapter Mm -hmm. in understanding its role. So, yeah. Very good. And so for, people listening, maybe, you know, maybe they've just seen videos of CrossFit women talking about how they pee when they do box jumps, or maybe they have had some of these symptoms themselves. Um, or maybe they're, you know, a coach or a box owner who have heard some of their clients talking about these things. How, how do you recognize when there is something or some sort of dysfunction going on with the pelvic floor, with the core? Um, I think like if I could give some people just some like little signals to look for, um, one would obviously be, you can ask like anybody leak. I mean, if, if your whole class disappears when they see double unders on the, (laughs) on the wad, on the whiteboard, if they see that and everybody disappears right before that to go to the bathroom, that's a clue for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a clue. Um, the other big one that is uh, a biggie for me is no buns. Like if you are like squatting dead, like if you're doing all this stuff, that's supposed to be involving and working your glutes Mm -hmm. and you have no glutes, Hmm. there is to me, what's happening with the glutes on the outside is tells me a lot about what's happening with the pelvic floor on the inside. Those are, I call them, they are BFFs. Okay. Mm -hmm. They work together. And so part of the reason someone might not have glutes, for example, if they're doing squats and they're under the bar is because Mm -hmm. their form is not good. Okay. Like without, you know, I mean, we can go into more specifics, but for a lot of women, we know about butt winks, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's understood in the community. Um, so when you're, when you get to that, the bottom of the squat and you lose control at the bottom, Mm -hmm. you're tucking under and that's where your glutes are going to be less effective. What I tend to see in my female athletes, particularly my CrossFitters and anybody who's doing any weight training Mm -hmm. is that butt wink doesn't always start at the bottom. 
it starts like half, half to two thirds of the way down. That's a strategy because they don't know how to manage the weight. Mm -hmm. So they're tucking under to try to create some kind of stability under the bar. So what they're doing though, is they're taking away the glutes and that's actually a less effective position for the pelvic floor as well. So most of my clients that leak under the bar, they leak at the bottom of the squat. Mm -hmm. So they, when, and so I don't know if I can demonstrate well and still stay hooked into my microphone, but so they get to the bottom and they're tucked under and under load and they also hold their breath there and then they get a little leak. Okay. And then when they power up, they finish here. Mm. Okay. So they, they, that's, you know, to get lights and all that kind of stuff. But what happens when you throw your chest up is there's often a a tucking under of the pelvic, the pelvis again. okay? Okay. And so, um, and, and that's because the ribs make it look like you're arching your back and you should have your anteriorly tilt, like that should be an anterior tilt. But if you really look carefully, that is a rib cage movement for most women and they actually end up with tucked under buns. So those two parts of the squat, we have no glute really happening. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, I go to Trader Joe's and I've got all my crossfitting neighbors (laughs) that have their... Lululemon's on and they have no butts like I can I they all do and so if you've managed to go to CrossFit for a year and you have no improvement in your glute bulk mm-hmm. you likely that there's a connection there for me so for coaches if you're looking around you have to start recognizing what posterior tilt what that tilted under looks like um, and to understand that the rib cage has tricked our eyes for a long time. And we've Mm -hmm. called that anterior tilt. We think people are accessing their glutes and they're not. So, so the conversation about pelvic floor needs to include the glutes, especially with complex movements. And that's a biggie. Like if, if you are seeing flat bums all over the place in the women in your gym, Mm -hmm. they are likely leaking. Those are the ones who are running to the toilet before the double unders on the wad. Wow. And you said these, you see that you can see this in men as well, or is this mostly in women? And do you see it in women, even if they've never been pregnant before, before pregnancy as well. Yes, it. Um, so let's first talk to let's talk about men first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and 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 what men? What's happening for men is more the over recruitment issue. Um, so and that is coming because, like I said, the pelvic floor is part of a system. It's part of a team, and the abdominals are part of that team. And mm-hmm. we've told everybody they have to have these really strong, tight abs all the time. Yeah. Men too. And so what happens, sorry, I'm looking for my balloon. Hang on. Because <laughs> this is important for men. Because I'm going to oh, say go. words that I love to talk about. So, so here's <laughs> intra-abdominal pressure. Okay. We know pressure is part of a lift. Um, but what happens when you are working on your abs all the time is you end up squeezing your intra-abdominal pressure balloon. Okay. So we have to understand that underneath that abdominal wall is guts. Like you actually have, so a lot of our dudes are ending up with things like constipation and a lot of our women too. Okay. Cause what we'd like to see is when the, the diaphragm comes down, we see like a little bit of give in the abdomen, a little bit of give in the public, the public, sorry, <laughs> the pelvic floor mm-hmm. underneath. And so we're just kind of, if you can see that, should I get closer? So we see this sort of give when the mm-hmm. diaphragm comes down for breath, the abs give and the pelvic floor gives a little bit. But what ends up happening is we squeeze all the time. So you can see how that might put some overwhelming pressure mm-hmm. down. Okay. But the pelvic floor, the brain is super smart and the system is super smart. So the pelvic floor fights 
its job is to keep all the poo and the pee in. So mm-hmm. it fights. So we end up getting this over recruitment issue, which for men turns into urinary issues. Like they get told they get prostatitis and they mm-hmm. get treated for infections. But in the reality is, is they're over recruiting their pelvic floors in part because they're squeezing their abs like crazy. And these guys have tight hips. Some of them have erection problems. Okay. Like there are major issues that happen and then they get urge incontinence and they feel like they have to pee all the time. Okay. So a lot of this stuff, and then we treat them medically like they have prostatitis and then they never get better. And then they, they keep having all of these issues and they can't go back to the gym and all that kind of stuff. So, so dudes also need to learn to chill their bellies out a little bit. Okay. (laughs) Because the pelvic floor will follow. It's Mm -hmm. a team. But understand, this is really important. If men are listening, you know, they think this is just a woman's issue. But the reality is, if you are sharting during your lifts, it's just, it's a pressure management problem. It's just coming out a different hole. Hmm. Okay. And so that is really important that when we do our pressure bellies and all that kind of stuff, the pressure is directed down if you don't have a good strategy for how you're including the pelvic floor. And that doesn't mean over recruitment, it means balanced recruitment, efficient recruitment, you might toot during a lift and Mm -hmm. it could have some friends along with it. Um, and, and, but that's an indication that you're having a pressure management problem. That pressure is not being contained well. Okay. And that's a really important thing to remember when we start talking about diastasis. Okay. Is that we need to manage this pressure and use it in a balanced way among the musculature and then also to handle how that pressure is being distributed inside there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if they're holding their breaths and they're getting that toot or whatever's going on, or they're doing a glottal hold or for women, it'll be a leak. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is where we start to say we need to manage that pressure better and we need to figure out how to do that and that we can do that through form changes. We can do that through pressure management techniques Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how you're breathing through your exercise. We can bring the load down a little bit to drill in some new strategies for how you manage all that, um, help you balance out those muscles versus overuse them. There's a lot of ways that we can kind of help you redistribute the pressure and the muscular force so that you don't have something come out the bottom. Okay. So it does affect men. We just don't talk about it like that. It's Mm -hmm. like, ha ha ha. I tooted. You know what I mean? Well, guess dudes, different hole. That's all it (laughs) is. And so, um, and then as far as women who've never had children, it's sort of similar that in the generation kind of behind me, um, it's been really fascinating because these are the women who are having children now, right? Mm-hmm. They're kind of in their early thirties, late twenties. They're mm-hmm. all, when I graduated from high school, their birthdays <laughs> killing me. Um, but they're kind of demonstrating this out of balance system mm-hmm. versus they've had any particular injury to their pelvic floor, which is part of how like this path for me has happened because so much of the literature that we have about leaking in athletes in female athletes is on women that have never had children. Hmm. So we can't like, there's no, and these are like 17 year olds. Like there's no reason why right. a 17 year old would have a weak pelvic floor. We cannot use that explanation anymore. We need to understand that the pelvic floor, yes, it can have a weakness associated with it. Um, but if we, um, anyway, but it can have weakness capacity mm-hmm. increase might be important, but in many cases, it's an inability to balance those forces. And particularly we have focused too long on what your abs look like especially for women. And so that overemphasis, it's not that it's bad. It's not that abs are bad. It's abs in balance with the rest of the system. That's what we're looking for. Efficiency, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not 
over recruitment of any one particular thing. So, so that's kind of where the conversation I hope can head understanding that this is not just your postpartum clients. We need to set our females up that have never had babies with efficient balanced systems. So when they do have babies, Mm -hmm. they can cover, they can go into the pregnancy really different, come out and have really good recovery strategies, understanding those components. That's, yeah, that's a really great point because I think so many women, maybe think about or first start thinking about this when they're having babies, but it's something like, like everything else we're doing. It's something that could be prevented maybe if we address it far, far earlier. So it would be awesome if we could get, and if, if like sex ed in school could include like, and there are people out there working on it. Mm -hmm. Like, can we talk about just pelvic health in general? Like, where is your pelvic floor? How do you access it? How do you Mm -hmm. learn to let it go? Like, how does it, how is it involved and make it not weird? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be weird. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you can invite me to dinner and I won't be weird (laughs) (laughs) at at the table. Like we can make it like it needs to be table talk. Yeah. 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 It needs to be table talk because, um, our girls need to like be able to understand what's happening with their body and prevent all this, you know? So, um, we can do that. We can maybe change the next few generations be awesome very awesome especially just thinking about even as you're starting to get into sports at a young age and how do you think about strength training how do you think about warming up properly or what types of you know recruiting the right muscles in the right order and and trying to address that from an early age to to start establishing those habits absolutely and and really like I said I mean really I'm the first generation that had access to sports the way that you know, is now sort of kind of commonly just, it just is. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to kind of see how that sort of has emerged, like I have an athlete in my home, I have two athletes in my home. My daughter Mm -hmm. plays volleyball. And when she went to, um, gymnastics, I think she was 10. Yeah. About 10. Um, the coach was like, feel your belly. Is it hard middle or soft? And then, and these are 10 year olds. Mm -hmm. And all girls and, um, and it should be hard. And I was like, excuse me, (laughs) you should not be, no 10 year old needs a hard abdomen. Like they don't. (laughs) And, and we need to help them like restore that balance that's natural. But we, because as a culture of fitness culture, um, and the general culture focuses so much on what your abdomen looks like. Um, and we do these, uh, you know, ab centric activities, like there's three, four, five, six ways to do crunches in a, in a workout, right. but what are you doing for the posterior chain, right? Like we need to keep this super balanced and kids need to get those messages super early, uh, to kind of head some of this stuff off at the pass. Um, yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal. Cause I first used to think I got to get these pre- ladies pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, no, no, no. If I could just educate them before they got pregnant. And then I was like, wait, 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 I got to get them when they're teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so we need a lot of work. We need a lot of education, but we're working on it. Well, you're doing a great job. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we've kind of talked about what are some red flags or ways that you might know that something's going on either with yourself or with your clients. And then you kind of mentioned some of the things that we can start to do to address those. Um, Maybe I know that we want to try to address those things early on, but maybe if we can start talking a little bit more about pregnancy and are there things, say there's a woman who is childbearing age, she's probably going to become pregnant soon. Um, Things that you might want to think about or common mistakes that you see women making um, that could be addressed kind of in that shorter time period? Um, I think 
um, my biggest recommendation would be to understand, um, what the system is, like why would, how you breathe be important? Why would, um, how the breath is interconnected with your tummy and with your pelvic floor? Like if you just even know where your pelvic floor is, that's a great first step. Like I have so many women that they're like, I know I was supposed to do my kegels before I got pregnant, but I didn't really, you know, I don't really know how they're boring, whatever. And I don't actually promote kegels. That's not really what I'm here to promote please like, because to me that's an isolation and that's not what I'm trying to get Mm -hmm. people to do. What I'm hoping is that people learn how to put those pieces together. How do you feel? Can you feel that? Can you put it together? Can you use them together as a system? Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, um, can we, and then once you understand that as a system, can you put it underneath your function? Can you use it when you lift, you know, open a car door? Can Mm -hmm. you, can you start to make it so that your brain is like, oh, right. So when I do this, my pelvic floor, oh, right. So when I lift my shoulder, when I'm pushing the bar, that whole system can help support that. Um, and so you work it into your function and then your fitness. And then it's there as a strategy behind the scenes that is supposed to be happening automatically, giving some attention to it, especially when you're preparing for pregnancy and then in pregnancy to make sure you're maintaining it, like connecting with it, using it in your function. I love using fitness. I love using fitness. Um, I don't give out dead bugs. Like I do not like dead bugs. (laughs) I'm not a typical rehab person. I want to use your fitness to help maintain this system. So if you're using it in your pregnancy, it underneath your fitness, whatever mm-hmm. that fitness is. I know we're talking to a CrossFit crowd. And then after pregnancy, you can connect with it much better. It's literally prehab. Like mm-hmm. you use pregnancy as your entire, that whole thing can be your prehab mm-hmm. in the in the event that there is an injury or um, just in, for you to recover. Pregnancy is no joke and neither is delivery <laughs> and neither is new motherhood. And so <laughs> Like to be able to kind of ease back into that workout with those strategies already in place, mm-hmm. that's what my goal would be. So I hope I answered the question, but it's really like to start to understand where those components are, mm-hmm. learn how to use them as a system, put them under function, and then put them under your fitness. Um, and then it'll be there. Like you want it to be built in as a ha- as your new habits mm-hmm. and the brain will do that for you. Um, and then it'll become automatic. Like that's our goal is automaticity. Like no mo- new mom has time to stir the pot, make a phone call, right. have a toddler on her arm, leg and a baby on her boob and then kind of wonder where her pelvic floor is. Like we want it to be trained in before mm-hmm. if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, they can then they can access it after. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think especially for women who are active and who want to keep being active, I think that's so important to make it something that can be relatable or that can be added into their normal fitness routine. That's my goal. And even that, I know, you know, in the past where there was a paradigm that women shouldn't really be exercising that much during pregnancy. And so we see how all these things are changing. And now I just want to talk a little bit about what kind of your general approach or recommendations are for women and their fitness during pregnancy. Because I think oftentimes um, now that I think the paradigm is very much do what you've been doing and listen to your body. But mm-hmm. I think I've I've talked and even I have a companion episode to this with um, Lisa Ryan, who's a CrossFitter, and she talks a lot about how that got her into trouble because she felt like she was listening to her body, but then right. still was maybe doing some things that um, weren't the best for it at the time. So do you have certain overall kind of guidelines for women um, during pregnancy and how to approach exercise? Um, yeah, first, and I think that the... Um 
the problem is, is that women don't know what to listen for. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, and, the, and the issue for most women who are looking to continue more intense exercise during pregnancy is that they're all female athletes and we've all played to the end of the game while <laughs> our something hurt and we had a stitch or, you know, like right. you just play to the buzzer, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so the buzzer is the finish line and delivery. And you just think, well, I, I can muscle through this. I can work through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what we need to kind of honor is the process that's happening, um, for, and you are supporting your baby's health and your health by doing fitness during pregnancy. That's critical for people to understand. We really want women to stay mm-hmm. fit during pregnancy. What I think, um, where women get themselves in trouble, like I said, is they don't know what to listen for. So from a pelvic health consideration, if you're leaking, we need to do something about that. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you have to stop. Okay. That's the other thing we can manage it, but if we can't, then we might need to really modify. Okay. So what I talk about a lot is, um, is, is to monitor and modify. Okay. So, and, and the the regulations from, um, the, um, ACOG, which is the American Mm -hmm. college of obstetrician and gynecologists is like, it's really interesting the way they, the language is, there's no language in there that says you shouldn't, Mm -hmm. there's no language that says this is the kind of exercise you have to do and you have to do this many reps, Mm -hmm. but it says that you need to know that you will, you need to adapt as you change. So there's an expectation that you're going to have to adapt your fitness. Mm -hmm. That's what women need to hear. You have to adapt. And, and generally speaking, what I basic guidelines would be, please don't go for PRs during pregnancy. Like it's, (laughs) It should be obvious, but it sometimes needs to be stated. I think for a lot of women that, you know, they're just afraid they're losing their identity and their fitness is part of that. Um, and, um, and, you know, I guess there is some part of that where I hope they understand that motherhood is going to change them and Mm -hmm. it's, and it's okay. Like Mm -hmm. that's, you signed up for that. Right. And, um, and, and there are changes that are coming, but they're all good. And, um, and, uh, and so I think that that's a piece of the puzzle for some women is that emotional piece Mm -hmm. is not wanting to lose themselves in the process, but, um, you are the host for, (laughs) And you need to protect your own body in that. Um, and so I try to keep people below their need for um, breath holding. Like if you need to Valsalva to pull off a weight, mm-hmm. let's just knock you back a few pounds. Okay. And, and I try to keep people maxing out more towards 75, 80% because mm-hmm. I find that that's where they can manage their pressures mm-hmm. with breath type um, strategies while they're lifting. Okay. And so that blows off the pressure that might be going down like our balloon, Mm -hmm. like into your pelvic floor. Okay. It would, it would reduce your pressure pushing out against the diastasis. We haven't talked about diastases Mm -hmm. yet, but, um, that, um, that, that would reduce some of the potential, um, places where you could get yourself into trouble Mm -hmm. because you can't necessarily feel your diastasis spreading, (laughs) but some women can, Mm -hmm. but, um, but you can't really feel that happening. Um, and, um, and for some women, they don't know if they're sweating or they're leaking, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like down in their undies. So, so it's just, that's sort of a nice place to sort of level out Mm -hmm. and know that really at this point you're working on maintenance. Um, at some point I would want women to stop with impact, Um, but a lot of that has to do with like how you're carrying some women, you can barely tell they're pregnant until they're like seven months, Mm -hmm. but some women, they look pregnant really fast. Um, and, uh, and so impact at some point, like I usually people self self, um, regulate that by midway through they're pretty done. Mm -hmm. Um, because it doesn't feel good. Like mm-hmm. at some point it doesn't feel good to do box jumps. It doesn't right. feel good to run and do double unders. So because impact adds a load 
on top of the load, on top of your pelvic floor, it adds stress from below. And um, and we, we do have ways to manage that. But pregnancy isn't necessarily when you need to be doing a lot of that. And what you're protecting is your own joints, your own pelvic floor, your own abdomen. And, and what you're setting yourself up for is a recovery for the, your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like you're setting yourself up for fitness over your lifetime. You don't want to get put yourself in a position where you you can no longer participate in fitness on the other side. That's really important. Like this is 10 months of your life mm-hmm. and we're going to find our way back and then you're going to be able to be fit for the rest of your life. So so there's some part of that conversation we need to have with the client. I, I don't want to ever make any assumptions and say, no, you can't do that. But I also really, I really want to understand what their goals are, what their needs are, both emotionally and physically, and if we can meet them in other ways that still feel intense, mm-hmm. but without cre- so like the elliptical instead of running, or hiking up a steep hill instead of running. Like, mm-hmm. how can we modify this, um, and so that you still feel like you're participating, you're getting to be a part of your community at the wad, I'm, I'm sorry, at your box, mm-hmm. um, but 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 without putting so much strain on your own system. Does that make sense? Yeah. I answer that well. Absolutely. And I love what you said about um, thinking about long term and about setting your body up for being able to do this for years and years and years. Because I think ultimately that's what most of our goals are. If we're in the cross the box, we want to be able to be healthy and be functional all the way into our 80s and 90s. And a lot of times I do think that people get ahead of themselves when they get in that competitive environment and they want to see results really fast. And it's the same thing that you see when people have to take a step back for injuries where it's really a wake up call. And sometimes it takes that for people to realize, Hey, maybe I need to slow things down, do things the right way so that I can be doing this for decades and decades to come. Right. I love that. And then I I also wanted to just kind of transition into talking about diastasis. You mentioned that we haven't really hit on it. And so maybe we can just give an overview of what exactly diastasis recti is um, and why it's important, especially for, women who are pregnant. Um, yeah. So what the, what the diastasis essentially means separation. And, um, and so basically as the abdomen grows, um, the, the sides of the abdomen start to separate. Um, and there's in between there, there's connective tissue we call fascia. Um, and it's sort of like when you pull apart a chicken, that kind of spider webby stuff in between, it's thicker than that, just, you know, but it's sort of the only thing I can, the visual that I always use, but basically that, that fascia becomes thinned between the two sides of the abdomen. But this happens so that we can grow a baby inside our belly and not crush our organs. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of women, there's a lot of misinformation and scary information on the internet. Like I just want to kind of acknowledge that and help you guys filter that a little bit. Um, And we understand that most women get some kind of a separation during the pregnancy. So that, so here that that means it's normal and natural. Like you should do that. That's how we're designed in order to grow a baby inside our belly. Mm -hmm. What what the problem is, is the word diastasis is also is used for this, the natural separation, but it's also used for the pathology that at the end of all that, what we know is that statistically about a third of women won't kind of recover that naturally. Okay. Most women hear that, like most women 
will kind mm-hmm. of find their way back to close to their baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the issue too, is we don't always understand norms. We don't like, I don't like, you may not know now would be a good time before you have babies yeah. find out like how, what is your baseline? Mm-hmm. Like for a lot of women, they think it's zero mm-hmm. that we are like this, but the reality is, is everyone has some kind of a separation between their abdomen. And we have to understand that that's so we can have a huge Thanksgiving's coming people. We <laughs> that fashion to be there so we can eat too much pie. Like it, we, we, there's give in the abdomen for a reason. And if there's a lot of physiologic reasons beyond just pregnancy. So a lot of women are freaking out when they have a two, Mm -hmm. like when we measure it with finger widths or centimeters, my fingers just happen to be beautifully two centimeters, which was a (laughs) lovely gift that I got for my career. Um, but, but so two, you may already have a two at your baseline. Mm -hmm. Like that's considered Mm -hmm. within the norm. And we, um, and so, so a lot of women are flipping out because they have a two postpartum and I'm like, okay, but, and you, your baseline might be smaller than that. And we right. can work towards that, but understand that what we're really wanting to know is how well the sides of the abdomen can communicate with one another. Okay. And that fascia is sort of the, the operator, mm-hmm. com- like helping communicate forces between the sides of the abdomen and through the whole trunk. And so what we're, we're moving in our conversation away from how big is your gap to how dense and how much tension can you create over that fascia to mm-hmm. help the abs still communicate. So you can have a still retain some kind of a gap, but if your fascia fills back in and it's helping you function and we're not losing control of the pelvis and the trunk, um, then, uh, yeah, then you're, you're, you've recovered your diastasis to be able to be functional and be under the bar again. If, however, for a lot of the third of women where that fascia doesn't really dense back up, that's where we kind of, that's the people that we need to be a little bit more concerned about. And the, and the, the, it's genetics. Like we really at this point think it has a lot to do with genetics. Mm -hmm. Some people just do not win the genetic lottery and, um, their fascia, it it tends to be thinner. We know Mm -hmm. there are some people who are lower toned people. Some people are stiffer fascial tissues. All of our tissues are are that Mm -hmm. similar. Mm -hmm. And so, so what happens is that thinning, it doesn't allow that communication between the sides of the abdomen and they can't control their pelvis well. They cannot contain the pressure. So that's where someone might, if you're breath holding with our little balloon example, mm-hmm. it would come out and you would see coning or that the, the, that line down the middle would mm-hmm. dome in particular places. So so that tells us that you're not containing that pressure well. And again, there are ways we can help you manage that so that you don't keep re-irritating and thinning that fascia as you're doing your fitness. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing something and you keep seeing that coning and you can't play with your breath or play with the form or change your load and without continuing to have that coning, mm-hmm. please stop and try so, do something else until you're done with your pregnancy because all you're doing is worsening that for your attempt to recover it later. Um, we can also teach you how to maintain tension over the fascia and that's it's that same system, that diaphragm, TA, pelvic floor, when we use them together, they work, they interact with the fascia and they can create tension over it. So when we set that up and we teach women how to use that, um, then we can get them that tension over the fascia 
before they do their lift. And again, if we're keeping them in loads that allow them to use that breath during pregnancy, then we're going to maintain tension over the fascia as best we can. Again, it's an X factor. I We don't have ways to predict yet if people are going to have the genetics to tend towards a, a real thinned situation or mm-hmm. the genetics to recover without any extra. Some women don't need any extra help. They just kind of get back into life and mm-hmm. things kind of wrap up. We even have a study that showed in 72 hours, women's diastases disappeared wow. after pregnancy. So, um, and that was, there was no exercise program that did that. Mm-hmm. There was no dietary, anything they did that did that. That was just there. They were very fortunate in the genetic lottery. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we need to kind of understand, um, yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll leave it there and see if you have any follow-up questions. Sorry, I could just go on. <laughs> so no, it's I, awesome. I, it's awesome. Um, so you mentioned that there is a lot of misinformation out there, and I think for me it was actually eye-opening because I had talked to Lisa about her story as she went through you know, each of her two pregnancies, and then since then I had heard from a couple of other women just locally and it involved in CrossFit in different areas around the country who had also – um, had some difficulty with diastasis after their pregnancy um, and didn't realize that it was that common. And you said actually like a third of women um, have some diastasis, I guess, afterwards. And so from there, I guess my question is, how concerned should women be? Um, we don't want, obviously, we don't want people to be freaking out and stressing out about it through their entire right. pregnancies, but what's an appropriate sort of, do you want to be monitoring this? Um, Are there certain exercises that you want to avoid to try to maximize your recovery um, so that we don't add any necessarily extra stress for something that might not necessarily be a problem, but then how do you monitor it? And then as you're recovering, how do you help your body to best recover? Um, Yeah, so, well, there's a lot in there Mm -hmm. to kind of unpack um, and I think one of them is is how to monitor for it. Um, and and but but there's this this is where it gets tricky. Like, um, you know, the, when while we really the best way to measure is the gap. Mm-hmm. And when you are pregnant, um, you know, the baby is back there and there's a lot of tension in yeah. the pregnant belly. So it's sometimes a little difficult to, to suss out. Are you feeling fascia or are you feeling just general tension because everything's so stretched out? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's a little tricky during pregnancy for a lay person to sometimes know what they're feeling, but you can measure between the gap. So if this is our gap, mm-hmm. you can put your fingers between like the navel is just the easiest place to do that, but no, that's also where it's the, it's always going to be the biggest. So don't okay. panic. Um, and the, the separations can look all, they can be all sorts of different varieties in my crossfitters. They do tend to be V's just mm-hmm. so you know. And the reason for that is the abdominals hook onto your rib cage. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so when, when, and like I said, a lot of my ladies who find themselves in my office are the rib thrusters. They're, they're actually, and understand this guys, that means you're behind the bar. You mm-hmm. can't produce a lot of force there. So, um, so you're behind the bar, mm-hmm. but understand that if my, that means my ribs are flared. Yeah. Yep. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if my ribs are flared, my abs are flared. Okay. Okay. So a lot of my ladies who are CrossFitters end up with diastases that look like this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the navel is somewhere in here and, um, and this is where they get their largest separation is at the top. Okay. Okay. So again, um, 
so anyway, what I would want my ladies to do is monitor, learn to monitor. All you have to do is put your fingers in here and then you can go like an inch below your navel, an inch above, a couple inches above. And what you want to do is feel where the edges are mm-hmm. and feel what's happening in the middle. Okay. And what you want is to feel some tension under there. And so when they, what we typically do is have people lay down on their back, lift their head. And then what you'll feel is that that'll help you find the edges. Okay. Cause it's sometimes hard to find them mm-hmm. in a pregnant belly on your back, but there's a little less tension in the system when you're on your back. Anyway, so what you want to feel is that the fascia gets some tension before you move. I teach, uh, my strategy is what I call blow before you go. Okay. <laughs> and and basically the idea there is if we understand this whole system where the diaphragm comes down, sorry, I hope I'm, I'm trying to cover a lot of ground no, here. No, no, no. When the good. diaphragm comes down, pelvic floor lowers, tummy opens, like yeah. we saw in the balloon, right? So, and so when that happens on inhale, everybody sort of opens. And then on exhale, when the diaphragm lifts and it relieves the pressure, mm-hmm. okay, so it's creating pressure when it comes down. That's what the diaphragm, I'm sorry, the pelvic floor and the TA are responding to. On exhale, when it lifts and it relieves that pressure, they sort of have, have been elastically loaded. Mm-hmm. So they recoil back up into position. So there's this automatic, beautiful, like kind of motion, I call it the piston mm-hmm. movement between these two, these three components. And in that pressure and muscular force balance is stability. That's where we find our stability. And it's a, it's a, it's not stiff, it's mm-hmm. moving. It mm-hmm. has this dynamic quality. Well, when we start our exhale before we move, we actually create that recoil response from the system before movement begins. We set up that kind of tension and anchor mm-hmm. before we move, and then that becomes that automatic strategy that we're looking for. That same system, when you blow, you're creating tension, a little bit of tension in that pelvic floor and TA mm-hmm. that's connected to the fascia. So what I have folks do is do no breathing or whatever they would naturally do coming up into that crunch, mm-hmm. feel what's happening with fascia, then blow before you go, continue the breathing as you come up into that little mini crunch and then feel the center. What you want and what tends to happen is without breathing, we don't get a lot of tension necessarily unless mm-hmm. your fascia is beautiful, like yours is probably just fine. But when you blow before you go, it kicks up tension in the fascia, mm-hmm. okay? And that's what you want to kind of start to monitor, is if you're still getting that responsiveness Mm -hmm. in the fascia. Mm -hmm. And so blow before you go, keep it blowing as you come up, that's going to create tension over the fascia, or it should. And when I feel that, when someone comes in for an eval, and I get them to kick up fascia with blow before you go, Mm -hmm. I'm always like, yes. (laughs) That's a good sign. This is responsive fascia. If it doesn't kick up, then I go, oh, crud, this is fascia that got really thin and genetically may not have the capacity to come back quite as well as other people. Don't panic if you don't feel it. It sometimes takes training, okay? Mm -hmm. But anyway, so this V is where I see a lot of ladies. So what does that mean? Is that when you're under the bar, and guess what? During pregnancy, your rib cage gets out of the way of the baby. Mm-hmm. So there's a tendency for a lot of ladies to be high chested anyway during pregnancy. So coaches need to watch for this in their pregnant pregnant population is that they're going to get higher and higher. We keep calling that anterior tilt. Mm-hmm. But when you're, but there's a, but when you come up, and again, I'm going to have to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hang on, let me just show you. Let's see if I can do this. <laughs> Hang on. I'm going to stay connected. Okay, so when my chest goes up, we think that means everybody untucks their bum. Yeah. Okay? 
But the reality is it's a big Jenga. When you're back here, I'm yelling because I'm farther away from the computer, but my <laughs> mic is right here. I'm sorry. So when you come up, what actually happens is people tuck under. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you've got to counterbalance that. And, and that's what most women do. Their pelvises are tucking under to sort of create support under the pregnant belly and create space. Mm-hmm. And then they've got high chests. So we have no glutes. They're behind the bar which also puts a lot of pressure through the front, mm-hmm. right? And would spread a diastasis and their ribs are flared up. And so we start training in the V. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. So, so, so sorry, could you just ahead. show us before you sit down what the posture is that you would be looking for? That would, would be, be better? What would, what would be normal, what we would consider good form yeah. under the bar. You want it here, mm-hmm. not here. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So really, if you're preserving good form under the bar, Mm -hmm. you're setting yourself up for this system working well and for less strain over the anterior, the abdomen, Mm -hmm. like pushing out all the time and then add in a breath hold and pressure belly strategies as your only strategy to lift the bar. Mm -hmm. And you're going to actually just keep pushing out against that linea alba the whole pregnancy. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So Instead, I teach breath strategies, keep people under in those kind of, you know, more reasonable. It doesn't mean you can't lift heavy. Just you don't have to go to 95% of your max when you're eight months pregnant. Like, (laughs) and let's just be honest. Um, So I would, I teach them and be sure that their form is where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're they're not finishing or spending their time here, that they're here. Okay. And that we're going to use that blow before you go. It, there are different ways to breathe, but mm-hmm. we want at least on the exertion for there to be an exhale mm-hmm. so that we get closure because that brings the abdomen in, puts the abs in better mechanical advantage, and then it also starts to put tension over that fascia. So it's kind of, there's more to the breath strategies, but that's just a trick that I might use if someone was having trouble or if we were suspicious, like they went into their pregnancy with a pre-existing diastasis, mm-hmm. we might try to use that strategy during the pregnancy, it's a, it's, there's a little more to the conversation than that, mm-hmm. but it's just enough to know that you can use your breath while you're pregnant to help manage your pressure, mm-hmm. keep the diastasis closed so that when you train it, mm-hmm. you're training it closed versus training it to be open. Okay. 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 Makes sense. Makes sense. So and then, there. and then, so that makes sense with the using the breath and, um, talking about lifting and being under load. Are there any other specific movements that, um, may put more pressure on the diastasis? Um, so I kind of am of the mindset that, uh, it depends. Okay. And it's because if you, for some women, um, they can be inverted, not inverted, but like, uh, like, a a deadlift Mm -hmm. so that you're, you're basically, you've got pressure on your abdomen down, right? There are some that would say you shouldn't do that because the pressure down Mm. is going to separate the diastasis. My mantra is monitor and modify. So you should have, if you are doing that, you can have your coach or a friend or somebody Mm -hmm. that you have said, feel what my diastasis is doing. (laughs) Is it responding? Mm-hmm. Like, is it doing what it's supposed to um, at, when I do that activity? And if it isn't, if you feel doming, mm-hmm. like I said, you'll see this bulge out. 
Um, if you feel nothing happening in the fascia, if your separation is getting worse while mm-hmm. you do that particular exercise, then that for you is not an exercise that's going to work well for you. It's not going to move the ball forward. It might actually create some more of a problem for you down the road, particularly if you keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Like if you did three reps and don't flip out, like, you know what I mean? Like you said, we can't scare people because I actually have a patient that managed to figure out how to not use her abs her entire pregnancy because Mm -hmm. she was afraid of diastasis. But guess what? She got a diastasis partially because of genetics, but she also never used her abdomen to keep it functional. Mm -hmm. So so it was like this really fine line, but she got the crap scared out of her because of the internet. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be really careful. So my message is always like, figure out your best strategy to meet the demand. Mm -hmm. Look for signs that you're not meeting that demand. Are you leaking? Are you feeling pressure and pain in your vagina after you work out? Is your diastasis doming? Um, If that's happening, then your current strategy, that means is your your form, your um, where you're doing, using your breath, Mm -hmm. is your musculature there to help you? Like if you are under, behind the bar and you're not, you don't have any glutes on board, You know what I mean? Like that's, we can change that. That's all strategy. Right. Okay. We got to get your strategy to the point where it can meet that demand. And if we can't do that and we keep monitoring you and we're still getting symptoms and let's modify, we either need to modify the activity significantly. Um, or we just need to change until you're done with your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or until we get through this stage of your postpartum recovery. Mm-hmm. So demand strategy is what I'm always looking for and monitor and modify. So I love that. Yeah, those are my two. Yeah, so it's more, it is listening to your body, but it's being even a little bit more intelligent about it where you're actually monitoring these specific things that can give you an indication about how well things are working and then what you might need to modify. I love that. Exactly. And and that's really what we're trying to, the message is, it, what I like to talk about is educated hope. Mm-hmm. Let's be hopeful that we can stay fit, but be really smart about it. Mm-hmm. Like, and know that you're, this is going to end, this is season. Mm-hmm. And then you get to go back and be really competitive. I mean, you're, you've had a major injury, you know, you understand mm-hmm. that the need for rehab and then the ability to kind of find a new path. Right. So, Yeah. And pregnancy, I don't want to call it an injury. That's not what it is, but it is something we can, we can use just some really smart strategies within Mm -hmm. and preserve your ability forever. That's what we're going for. Awesome. Let's talk just briefly about postpartum. So say, you know, you're monitoring, you're adjusting your activity throughout your pregnancy, you deliver, and then how do you advise women postpartum to start increasing their activity again and making sure that they're doing it in an intentional way? Um, that, well, if it's someone that I've been able to connect with mm-hmm. either somehow, um, all of the strategies that I would have taught them ahead of time, like I've already said, like connect with those components, yeah. know where your pelvic floor is, um, and, uh, and then learn how to use it with your breath. And the minute you're allowed to do breathe again, Mm -hmm. start your breaths, start trying to connect with that, try to feel that connection, use that system as it was designed, start and we're pumping out fluids. Mm -hmm. When we do that, we're re-engaging with the pelvic floor, um, where if they've had a cesarean, we haven't really talked about that either. Like that's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, but if they've had a cesarean, we need to blow off that anesthesia anyway. So let's work on your breath, like start to, to move and, and, and do it with that blow before you go strategy 
Because when you're doing that, you're also blowing off pressure that might be pushing down on new stitches, whether they be from a cesarean or from any tearing that occurred. Mm -hmm. Your pelvic organs, you've been pu- you've tried to push them out by accident, <laughs> likely. Mm-hmm. Um, and any pressure from above during those first few weeks postpartum, we want to avoid that. So that blow before before you go strategy, like it's sort of, it's super simple and it kind of covers a lot of bases. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really nice way to start to reconnect gently with that system and to blow off any pressure and and create some control again. Because things get a little wonky after pregnancy, like immediately it feels Mm -hmm. a little wacky. Mm -hmm. when you first stand up. Um, And then to just start to move comfortably and walk, breathe, like those first few weeks are about that. And then you can start kind of working yourself back into more and more activity. Um, and, and really that six to eight week line in the sand that Mm -hmm. we've created is actually quite arbitrary. (laughs) Um, and, uh, in terms of, um, what that actually means about your capacity to get back into fitness. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so there is an assumption that you could just jump right back in. And I think that women need to understand that you need to recover. Like it's, it's okay. Like the gym will always be there. Your runners will always be there, but, but just give yourself a little bit of time to, to kind of heal and know that if movement is feeling good, do more of it. Mm -hmm. If you want to take a walk, go for it, but don't like get a half an hour away from the house and then realize you have to walk a half hour back. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like start gradual and then start to build in more intensity. Like let's do Hills now. Let's, you know what I mean? And so and again, everybody's a little bit different. So it's right. hard to say you have to do this and you can't do this and you got it. But so it really is then it does come down to listening to your body mm-hmm. and monitoring, modifying. Mm-hmm. So if you push yourself and you're like, oh, that wasn't, Maybe now I realize what probably wasn't a good choice. Yeah. Then it wasn't a good choice. Back off. Tomorrow's a new day. Start again. You know, see how you feel the next day. It may be that it was just a little bit of new. <clears throat> And you can maybe push into that realm. But, um, but you know, if you're still leaking or bleeding or, you know, like then give yourself a little time mm-hmm. um, and then you can start to work your way back. But again, when you start back, monitor and modify. Mm-hmm. Are you meeting, is your strategy in place in a way that you're meeting the demands you're asking of your body? And if you are, are not, if it is not, if you can't get under the bar well, if your mm-hmm. form sucks, if you are leaking, if you're in pain, those are signs that you cannot meet the demand right now with the strategy you're using. And mm-hmm. the strategy may be it's too soon. The strategy may be that you can't pull it together under that load. You need to do it without weight or you need to do just the bar or, you know what I mean? So it, it really, like to me, those are parameters that I have to trust my athletes with a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Figure, and so I hope, I'm sorry, it's a wishy-washy answer, but it's also the best one I can give. No, I think it makes a lot of sense and it's the same sort of the same principles as when you're, when you're going through pregnancy is you have to, like you said, monitor and modify and take it one step at a time. And I like what you said about, it's not like you get to six weeks and magically you can go right back into your previous activity. You have to take it step by step. So yeah. And it also depends on how you delivered. Mm -hmm. Like if you had a cesarean that wasn't, that was scheduled for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. I have less concerns for you about returning to running Mm -hmm. than I do with someone who had a traumatic pelvic, um, um, vaginal delivery. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Running may not be on their first, they shouldn't start running right away. But Mm -hmm. if someone had a cesarean, they're eight weeks, they have no symptoms. It was pretty, you know, can they start maybe doing a little Mm -hmm. bit of light jogging at intervals? 
Maybe. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Mm-hmm. You know, and have we trained them up to that? So it's, but I would I tell everyone, yeah, at eight weeks, you can start running. If you had a non-traumatic, no way would I say that <laughs> and risk my license on that. Right. But, but what I would say is, you know, let's kind of, have you, have you prepared, have you kind of built back up to that a little bit? And we could try just a light jog and see how you feel. So we also have to be careful about those parameters. A lot of people are like, you can't run until five months. Well, what would your concerns be if they had a non-traumatic, scheduled C-section. Why mm-hmm. would they have to wait five months? I, I don't have an answer for that. Mm-hmm. But, but so we have to be careful about that kind of stuff on that rhetoric on the, right. on the internet. Right. So anyway, got to look at that for whole sure. spectrum. For yeah. Sure. What would be some signs where women should seek, um, help from a practitioner, um, in their area and how would they find someone who would be, or how would they find the right one or someone that they know would be good to work with? Um, yeah, that's a bit tricky, um, of an answer, um, because there's not a lot of practitioners that necessarily treat this way. Um, the, and one of the statistics I like to throw around is that we're going to have 4 million new mommies this year. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have about 3,500 PTs registered with the section of women's health at the American physical therapy association. And that doesn't mean all of the PTs that are out there that treat this are registered with Mm -hmm. the section. Um, but even if we tripled that number, we still don't have the numbers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to, I would love for everyone to at that, if the, if anything could happen at the six and eight week mark, it would be everyone could get an exam from a pelvic PT mm-hmm. to kind of help them understand what went on in there. If there's any concerns, um, learn from them, you know, to make sure they're connecting well. Yeah. Um, but that not everyone has access. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but in the absence of that, you know, we, there are like online programs that are good that can mm-hmm. help women connect those dots. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what you're really hoping for is, and, and I'll just say this, one of my goals is to educate as many coaches, mm-hmm. fitness pros, physicians, mm-hmm. um, rehab pros to start screening for it. So yeah. most women will end up in an orthopedic PT's office because their back hurts mm-hmm. or their hip hurts when they run, mm-hmm. but they won't tell the PT my, I also have incontinence and mm-hmm. the PT won't ask. <laughs> So we, I'm working on educating and creating the ability to triage this because mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, it's stuff we can change like strategies and form and, and get under the bar better and all right. that kind of stuff. But some women actually have injuries that they would need to seek out like a pelvic PT. Mm-hmm. So the best way to find one of those is, uh, through the American physical therapy association section of women's health. They have mm-hmm. a PT locator. Okay. I can, I can provide you with that. Yeah. You that, we'll link that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so that's one way here in the United States. States mm-hmm. to access that the Canadian Physical Therapy Association, Australian, UK, they all have PT locators. Mm-hmm. They can help you do that. Um, there are a lot of resources on, on my site and others that can help women start to put those pieces together. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, whatever program you use, you should see results relatively quickly. And what okay. I mean by that is if in the first month, nothing's changing, you're mm-hmm. still leaking, you're still in pain you need to seek somebody out. Okay. Like you need to check in a lot of docs don't really understand this. Mm-hmm. Like even gynecologists don't understand yeah. what the recovery is supposed to look like. So they do clear women. They're like, just go, just go slow, mm-hmm. which is basically what I said too. But, <laughs> um, but with hopefully some, some added parameters yeah, there, yeah. but I think, um, you know, we just need for women to advocate a little bit more for themselves and also to recognize it's not normal. Like the fact that everyone in your running club leaks isn't something to rally around. Mm-hmm. It's something for all of you together to go and seek help for. <laughs> like, 
And so, and and again, we do need more practitioners that can blend these two worlds because a lot of times women go in and see a practitioner and they're told they need to stop fitness still. Okay. Mm, That still happens. And so we, and some women need to, like at some point, a boxer with 15 concussions needs to stop. Like we need to know that there's a limit to where we can, we can help people with certain kinds of injuries, Mm -hmm. but what can we still do? Like, what can we still offer right. them? And, and that's what we need practitioners that are willing to problem solve. And so I'm trying to build an army like that. We're working on it. But, but you do need to try someone in the pelvic health or understands at least some baseline pelvic health, mm-hmm. um, how it could be impacting what they're seeing with your hip pain. But don't just respond to pain. Understand that leaking, pressure in your vagina, a, a belly that domes when you do exercise, mm-hmm. those are signals that you aren't managing pressure well, that system isn't working well, and we have tools to help you. Okay, we can do that. And then where can people find more about you and about your programs, whether it's you know a woman who wants to learn more or whether it's a coach, a gym owner, someone who wants to try to... Um, at least be able to provide resources for their members or help them with screening and determining who might need to seek additional help. Um, my website is julieweebpt.com. I do have a ton of blogs and videos, all mm-hmm. free content that you can look at. Um, I have social media presence. You can follow me. People can always send me questions. I do actually have a program online for women to try to learn about how to connect with components of that system. Um, it does talk mainly about incontinence, but that system is the same one that helps with prolapse, which is that heaviness. It is the same system that connects the fascia that we trigger with blow before you go in diastasis. Mm-hmm. It is the system that needs to be recovered postpartum, even if you're not having any of those symptoms. It's that connected system. And so there is a program like that online that, that's on my site. Mm-hmm. For pros, I actually have um, a couple of on online programs and more are coming, um, in order to help you start to link, um, and understand the role of, of this system, how to integrate that system back into function and then fitness. Um, and, and looking at both, um, I have one that looks actually at a CrossFitter, mm-hmm. um, which is a female athlete course. And then I have a full course that I teach also live, um, that has, uh, looks at a runner. Okay. Um, or, yeah. So in, and in, in, in all of those are strategies that you can apply across the fitness stratosphere, Mm -hmm, right? And mm -hmm. really it comes down to some of the same smart principles we use in sports medicine, like what's our form look like? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like, but to understand how that impacts the pelvic health consideration. Mm -hmm. Um, But my goal is that pros, whether they be coaches or rehab or fitness pros, that they would understand that we need to be looking at musculoskeletal health, pelvic health and performance health as a unified, like all three of those things work together. And my favorite things from patients is like, I'm totally getting so much better. Like I'm getting faster. I can lift heavier now that I'm using, I'm so much more grounded under the bar. I'm so much, I'm, I can move more quickly. I can, Mm -hmm. because they aren't losing energy and pressure out their holes, <laughs> like, <laughs> frankly. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, there's a lot we can do to help enhance performance. And, and when we talk about with diastasis, like yeah. you're losing that pressure that mm-hmm. we're trying to help our ladies generate to help them lift heavy, but they're losing it out their front, out their bottoms. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we can do a lot to help them reorganize that and improve their performance. So there is stuff like that on my site. Awesome. Well, those sound like 
great, great resources. So hopefully people will check them out. Um, I do want to finish with three questions that I ask everyone on the podcast. So just to learn a little bit more about you, because um, we've loved hearing about all of your expertise. But um, for you personally, uh, I like to find out what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? On my health. Oh, I love it. Um, so interesting you say that because I've been really trying to remind myself what I need to be doing for me. Um, exercise is one. Um, for me that I love hiking, um, and, um, other movement based stuff. Um, cooking actually is Mm -hmm. another one. It just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I love providing something yummy. Like it makes me happy. Um, and then I'm also a Christian. So, um, anything that feeds my soul and helps me pursue that, um, which is, um, I'm looking at the book I'm reading right now. So, um, so pursuits in that regard are things that help me. Yeah. And what book is that that you're reading? Um, it's called soul feast. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'd like to see it. Yes. Um, and it's about, um, the, uh, contemplative life, like how to create that. So beautiful. Yeah. Very good. One thing that maybe you struggle with that you think would have an impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it. One thing that I struggle with is not doing those things. <laughs> right. <laughs> Does that count? Um, is that, that's probably not exactly what you mean. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I have to be really disciplined mm-hmm. um, in order to make sure I carve that those pieces out. Mm-hmm. Um, and more recently, my husband has been getting up and making eggs in the morning instead of me. Oh, and it's nice. allowing, and even this morning, I was like, thank you so much. It makes such a difference. <laughs> like I can actually sit down and have my quiet time. Yeah. And, and not have to, like, sometimes I wake up late, that's like, that has to depart. Or if I have something happening, like right. the dogs don't get, the, if I can at least get my dogs walked, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good start to the day. Being, I'm even happier. Um, right. But, you know, I just need to try to carve out my schedule to allow me to do that. And mm-hmm. I don't always protect that time, but I do try. So um, that's my, it's when I let things get into that bubble that I create right. for myself. So right. that's it's it's hard to because it's there's always so many things that you want to do and I've been personally I've been trying to make that morning time my personal time too because I find that otherwise the rest of the day happens and it's just not going to not going to fit in so it's hard yeah we all struggle with it all right yeah. last question is what does a healthy life look like to you a healthy life for me um I think it would be, um, uh, (laughs) well, it's, I think one of the words I love to use, and I see there's such a reflection in our bodies Mm -hmm. about how we're organized and designed in how we're supposed to be living. Like rest is a part of what we need to be healthy and we need to find that in our own life. Um, and, uh, and actually, when I talk about the pelvic floor and its teammates, what I'm really talking about is relationship and community. Mm, And so, that's really a part of a healthy life. And when we talk about, um, you know, stability and the need for proximal control, that's our developmental need. That's our first gross motor need. Mm -hmm. And, um, we need to be anchored. And for me, that's my spiritual anchoring. And so to me, that's part of my healthy life. And, and then prioritizing within that for me is my family. And, um, and I think my success metric of a healthy life would be that I still have 
I'm still married to the same guy, <laughs> um, happily married, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that I have great adult relationships with my children. Like those, those would be sort mm-hmm. of how I define my own healthy life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to prioritize all that, but it's hard. It's it's hard when work kind of gets big. So, and when yeah. you're, it, what a good problem to have when you're so passionate about your work that it, you know, you want to be spending time doing it. So that is a good thing. But I love that uh, analogy that you made between the body and the physical and the sort of mental, emotional side of things, because I think those patterns, you see them in so many different places in life. Um, And so it's just, it's, yeah, it's really beautiful. So thank you for making that analogy. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you for spending so much time today and sharing all of your knowledge and your passion. And I'm so excited to share this with the community. I hope that they take it to heart and maybe dig into some of your resources and learn more to help um, not only themselves, but also um, maybe their clients or their gym members too. So absolutely. Yeah, I hope so. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Very good. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I hope you learned as much from Julie as I did. She is really well-versed on this topic, and I hope you continue to use her and others as a resource um, for yourself, for your athletes, and for any other friends who are maybe going through pregnancy or having pelvic floor dysfunction issues. So I'd also love to keep this conversation about CrossFit and pregnancy going. The best way to do that is to let me know your personal experience by commenting on this post on my website, juliefouchercom forward slash podcast, or on social media using hashtag pursuing health. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouchercom and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. This episode is brought to you by MobilityWad. Do you struggle to get into good positions in your training and workouts? Are you looking for a structured routine to help you relax, downregulate, and recover on a regular basis? Well, then MobilityWad may be just what you're looking for. MobilityWad is the world's most comprehensive collection of guided movement, mechanics, and mobility instructional videos designed to improve athletic performance, increase mobility and flexibility, prevent injury, resolve pain, and optimize recovery. Each routine is guided by renowned physical therapist, strength and conditioning coach, and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Kelly Surrett. I first took Kelly's movement and mobility course in 2013, and since then I've read his books and followed his videos for ideas on how to address my own movement restrictions. Sometimes though, having all this information can become overwhelming, which is why I think the real genius is in the MWOD subscription. As part of this subscription, you have access to not only hundreds of hours of video content that can be filtered based on your specific questions, but also two daily 8 to 15 minute guided routines called Perform and Recover. The Perform routines are designed to be done in the gym either before or after your workout, and these focus on position, mechanics, mobility, and motor control techniques to help you optimize your athletic performance and prevent injury. This practice requires tools you would generally find in the gym, like jump stretch bands, lacrosse balls, barbells, and kettlebells. 
Now, the recovery routines are some of my favorites, and these are designed to be accomplished at home. They focus on mobility and soft tissue work, down-regulating the nervous system, resolving pain, and general relaxation. This practice only requires a foam roller, a lacrosse ball, and a mat or your carpet, things that you would find at home. I often do these sessions as a way to wind down from a long day and help myself relax. Mobility Watt is used by the world's top athletes in the NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB, UFC, Premier Soccer League, Pro Rugby, Weightlifting, Running, CrossFit, Obstacle Course Racing, and all branches of the military. It's also the go-to mobility programming for coaches, physical therapists, and recreational athletes who want to learn proven strategies to optimize athletic performance, prevent injury, and enhance recovery. Now you can join the thousands of other individuals who incorporate Mobility Wad into their daily workout routine. It's easy to become part of the MWAD community, but because you're a Pursuing Health listener, you can receive 20% off an annual membership with code Julie Fouché. Just visit mobilitywad.com to learn more. Once again, that's mobilitywad.com, M-O-B-I-L-I-T-Y-W-O-D.com, and you can use code Julie Fouché for 20% off your annual membership. This episode is brought to you by Siete Foods. You know when you meet a group of people who are just so genuine that you can't help but treat them like old friends or family? Well, that's basically how I felt when I met the Garza family, the founders of Siete Foods. Siete is a healthy Mexican-American food brand that makes grain-free and paleo-friendly tortillas and tortilla chips. My husband Danny and his family first met the Garzas at PaleoFX several years ago, and they had an instant connection and have kept in touch ever since. Maybe it's their powerful origin story that makes them so relatable. Veronica Garza was facing a series of major health challenges as a teenager, and her entire family of seven jumped on board to help without hesitation. Together, they adopted a low-inflammation, grain-free diet. As a Mexican-American family living in South Texas, they couldn't imagine living without tortillas, and it wasn't long before Veronica came up with a delicious solution and Siete Foods was born. I've been enjoying their delicious grain-free and paleo-friendly tortillas and tortilla chips for years and finally had the chance to meet the Garzas in person. When I did, they immediately made me feel like a member of the family. Their passion for making the world a healthier place is absolutely contagious, and their generosity spreads to everyone they touch. I'm so excited to have Siete Foods as a sponsor of this episode, and if you're not already a fan of their products, I promise that you will be as soon as you give them a try. They've provided an exclusive discount code for Pursuing Health listeners. Just use code JULIE when you check out on sietefoods.com to take advantage of their offer. Again, their website is sietefoods.com. S-I-E-T-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. And you can use code Julie for 10% off your order. 